You're listening to The Ancient Tradition. A Wonk Media Production. Music provided by Joseph McDade. Here's your host, Dr. Jack Logan. Welcome to The Ancient Tradition. I'm your host, Jack Logan. Welcome back to all of our regular listeners. If you're a first-time listener, we welcome you to the podcast. Glad to have you with us. Today's episode is the coronation of Charles III and Camilla, the king of the four quarters. The upcoming coronation of Charles is of utmost importance to this podcast because the coronation of kings is a central characteristic of the original religious tradition, the ancient tradition. As we discussed in the previous episode on the coronation, you'll see that profound religious doctrines are cloaked in the coronation rites of kings. In today's episode, we'll dive into the significance of a very interesting mosaic known as the Cosmati Pavement. It's on this mosaic that nearly every British monarch has been anointed and coronated. In this episode, we'll unravel the mysterious religious significance of the Cosmati Mosaic and its deep connection to the ancient tradition. In addition, the British coronation ceremony begins with a very peculiar ritual, one that, quite frankly, I'm astonished after thousands of years, is still being performed in the 21st century. It's, it's remarkable. It's easily one of the most ancient religious rites that we find in the ancient record. And you'll see that this rite, like the Cosmati Mosaic, is deeply connected to the ancient tradition. The aim of this podcast is to reconstruct the original religious tradition that was imparted to human beings in deep antiquity. And to do this, we've structured the episodes sequentially so that each new episode builds off of the previous episodes like building a house. We're building the ancient tradition from the ground up. So if you hear anything in this episode that's new to you or that you want to learn more about, go back and check out the earlier episodes because there's a lot of great foundational information in those episodes that help set the stage, not only for this episode, but for all of the episodes that are, are yet to come. Because this podcast is so new, I haven't had time to expose you to all of the amazing evidence in the ancient record that supports this claim that kingship and the coronation of kings was a central doctrine of the ancient tradition. And we'll definitely cover that ground in a future episode. But with the coronation of King Charles III on the horizon, we just can't pass up this opportunity to talk about these rites while they're happening. Knowing how the coronation rites tie into the ancient tradition will greatly enhance not only your understanding of what's taking place during King Charles's coronation, but it will also help you understand the profound role kingship plays within the ancient tradition. In earlier episodes, we established that God, the supernal sacral king, revealed to human beings a form of civil government that was patterned after the form of civil government in heaven, kings and kingship. In heaven, God reigned as king of kings. And upon completing the creation, God, represented by the radiant tree of life, appointed Adam, the first man, to be a vassal king over his creation, the earth. And we established in episode number four 
that the coronation of Adam took place in the Garden of Eden, which was God's temple or sanctuary. God, the tree of life, crowned Adam, his vassal sacral king, in the Holy of Holies in his temple. And we established in episode number five that the right to this vassal sacral kingship was passed down through Adam from father to firstborn righteous son, of which Enoch, the seventh from Adam, was the rightful heir. In our last episode, we established that all over the world, from Mesopotamia to Egypt to the Maya in Central America and from Moses of the Bible to the mythic Prince Jason of Jason of the Argonauts to King Charlemagne, the King of the Franks, that they tied their kingship directly to a sacred tree, the tree of life. And why did they do this? Because association with the tree of life or the sacred tree symbolized to those whom they were to govern that they were the legitimate vassal sacral king chosen by God, the king of kings, the tree of life. As God's vassal sacral king, the earthly king was to be understood as God's representative on earth. And as such, the king was understood as a lesser Yahweh or could be conceived of as a lesser tree of life. And as such, the earthly king effectively represented God on earth. We also learned that all true kings hold scepters. Why? Well, as we saw in the previous episode with the Mesopotamian king Emadaranki, the Mesopotamian Enoch, that the scepter given to King Emadaranki upon his enthronement was a branch of the sacred tree. Holding a branch of the tree of life in his hand, the king and all kings, whether they know it or not, are conveying to those they govern that they have been given the power and authority to rule as an earthly king directly from the tree of life or God himself. The earthly king holds the power and the authority of God in his hand. Without foundation, let's jump into today's episode. And I want to start by walking through the coronation ceremony as it will happen on May 6th in London. So on May 6th, Charles, along with a procession of clergy and other dignitaries, will enter Westminster Abbey to the anthem Psalm 122, I Was Glad. And this is known as the King's Procession. If Charles follows protocol, he'll be wearing the crimson surcoat and the robe of state of crimson velvet, though I've heard that he doesn't plan to wear some of the traditional royal vestments, so we'll have to wait and see. And all of this will take place in Westminster Abbey. And this is important because there are several architectural and artistic features of the Abbey that directly link the coronation rites to the ancient tradition. The first coronation at Westminster Abbey was held in 1066 AD for William the Conqueror. And with the exception of a couple of kings who were never coronated, every British monarch since 1066 AD has been coronated in Westminster Abbey. And Charles will be the 40th British monarch to be crowned there. Westminster Abbey is formally named the Collegiate Church of St. Peter at Westminster, and it was chartered in 1042 by King Edward the Confessor with the express purpose that it serve as a royal burial and coronation church for future British monarchs. A couple of centuries after King Edward died, the church was demolished and rebuilt by King Henry III on a much grander scale, and that's the abbey that we see today. 
Westminster was the first church built in England in the form of a crucifix, where the two arms of the crucifix cross, which is directly in front of the high altar, one ascends five stairs and steps onto a, a large platform known as the Cosmati Pavement. And it's this beautiful, recently restored mosaic. It's made of lapis lazuli, alabaster, and marble, and a variety of different colorful glasses. And if one's looking from above and you look down on the Cosmati pavement, it looks like a 13th century depiction of the cosmos. There's thousands of miniature stars and large swirling circles of what could be planets or suns. And directly in the center of the square mosaic is a large circular onyx stone, and it has strata through it, and it easily reminds one of the planet Earth. This Earth-like stone in the center of the Cosmati mosaic is pretty important because it's directly atop this stone that every British monarch for the past nearly 1,000 years has been anointed and crowned. King Henry VIII was coronated on that very spot, as was King James VI of the King James Version of the Bible, Queen Anne, Queen Victoria, and Queen Elizabeth II. If you visit our companion website, theancienttradition.com, and you click on Evidence in the main menu, and then scroll down until you find this episode, you'll see a picture of the Cosmati pavement. In order to unravel the mystery of the Cosmati mosaic and its connection to the ancient tradition, we must begin with its location. As mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the Cosmati Mosaic is located exactly where the north-south and the east-west arms of the Abbey's crucifix intersect or cross. Now, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, the image here of the intersection of two perpendicular lines should conjure up a few thoughts in your mind of the Garden of Eden. That's right, the Garden of Eden. If you recall, in episode number four, we read in Genesis chapter two, verse 10, quote, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became four heads. From the center of the garden, four rivers of water flowed. One river flowed to the north, one flowed to the south, one to the east, and one to the west. And if you visit our companion website, theancienttradition.com, again, and click on evidence in the main menu and scroll down to episode number four, you'll see several artistic representations of the waters flowing from the center of the garden to the four corners of the world. And if you'll recall, we noted that in Greek, the word temenos, from which our word temple is derived, means to cut. And this refers to the point at which that cardo, the north-south line, and the decumanus, the east-west line, cut across each other, where they cross. That point where these two lines cross mark either literally or symbolically the center, the sacred center of all things. It marks that space as a holy temple. So coronating the British monarch where the arms of the north-south and east-west lines cross signifies that the new king is being anointed or crowned, not just anywhere. He or she is being anointed and crowned in the most sacred place on earth in God's holy temple. In addition, if you'll recall back in episode number four, we established that the Garden of Eden was likely planted on elevated land on a hill or a mountain. 
so that the living waters could flow down to the four corners of the world. And this mountain motif is also portrayed in the Abbey. If you'll recall, I mentioned earlier that the Cosmati mosaic is elevated above the main floor. One has to ascend five steps to reach the mosaic. Again, this symbolizes that the Cosmati mosaic is to be understood as a holy temple, a mountain of God, the place where God resides. So to ascend the steps is to ascend God's mount and to enter his holy presence. This this reinforces the notion that true kings are only anointed and coronated in one place, in God's sacred temple. And this brings me to a very intriguing earth-like onyx stone in the center of the mosaic. It's directly above this stone that the king, the new king or queen, is anointed and coronated. Now, if you watch old recordings of Queen Elizabeth's coronation, you you won't see the Cosmati mosaic or the stone that I'm referring to because the Cosmati mosaic was covered with a carpet for like 150 years. The carpet has since been removed and the mosaic's been restored, so you'll easily see it during Charles's coronation ceremony. So what's the significance of the onyx stone in the center of the mosaic? Well, if you're a regular listener, you should be connecting this again back to the Garden of Eden. Do you recall what stood in the center of the garden? I'm guessing that most of you do. But if you don't, here's a quick reminder. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it states, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of of the garden. That's right. The tree of life stood in the middle of the garden. It stood in the middle of God's holy sanctuary or temple. And what was this tree? Well, hopefully by now you recognize that the sacred tree that resided in the exact center of the garden sanctuary was God himself. God resides in the sacred center of his temple. And through him, all life springs forth and the living waters flow to the four corners of the earth. And recall in episode number five, when the ancient patriarch Enoch, in chapters 20 and 22 of the Book of the Holy Secrets of Enoch, ascended to the highest heaven, he saw God seated on his throne. And Enoch says, quote, I saw the Lord sitting on his highest throne. I saw the Lord's face like molten iron and poured out and emitting sparks and glowing. It is incomprehensible, marvelous, and supremely awesome. The tree of life that stood in the center of the garden temple symbolically represented God seated on his throne in his holy heavenly temple. So God resides in the sacred center of all things. And that sacred center is referred to in the Judeo-Christian tradition as the holy of holies. God resides in the holy of holies. So I hope you see where this is going. Every British monarch for the past 750 years has been anointed and coronated above the onyx stone, the stone that marks the spot where the Cardo and Decumanus lines cross. It represents the summit of the mountain temple where God planted a garden sanctuary or temple. 
It marks the exact spot where the tree of life stood. It marks the spot where God sits on his glorious throne in his holy temple. And as a quick aside, it's very, very likely that this is where we get the phrase, X marks the spot. And as you'll see in future episodes, literally all over the world, peoples of all times at all places use where the north-south line and the east-west line cross to mark their most sacred shrines and temples and, and sanctuaries. So for a British monarch to be anointed and coronated on this stone is akin to proclaiming that the British monarch has been anointed and coronated by God, the tree of life, in the Holy of Holies. Now, where have we heard this before? If you're a regular listener, again, this should take you right back to the Garden of Eden, where we learned in episode number four that God made Adam and Eve a king and a queen. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it reads, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You know, this is also corroborated in the book of the Holy Secrets of Enoch, where Enoch relays to his family what he saw during the heavenly ascent. And in chapter 58, it reads, In the days of our forefather Adam, the Lord came down to the earth for Adam's sake. The Lord appointed him king over all and subjected to him all things. So we see a striking parody here between Adam, who was made a king by God in the garden sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and the British monarch, who was anointed and crowned, at least symbolically, by God in the sacred center of all things, the Holy of Holies. And note here that the Genesis text is written in the plural. God gives Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. God not only made Adam a king over his earthly creation, he also made Eve a queen over his earthly creation. And we'll see this connection between Camilla and Eve play out during the coronation ceremony when Camilla is crowned a queen. So the mysterious onkstone in the center of the floor represents fundamentally the sacred center of all things, the center of all life. The life of the kingdom flourishes from this center. It's not only the center of the abbey, it also symbolically represents the center of the united kingdom, the center of the earth, which I'll develop in a minute, and the center of the cosmos where God resides on his glorious throne in the Holy of Holies. And it's here in this sacred center that God crowns kings and queens. And if you happen to live in London or you're planning to visit London between May 15th and July 29th of this year, you can actually purchase tickets for about 15 pounds. That is if they haven't already sold out which includes a tour of the Abbey and the opportunity to actually walk, you got to do it in socks, on the Cosmati Mosaic. And you'll be able to stand on the Ankh stone where Charles will have been coronated. And it's the only time in living memory that visitors to the Abbey will have been able to do this. 
It's important to point out, however, that although the architects and artisans who built Westminster Abbey did an excellent job of symbolically connecting the coronation of the British monarch to God, who reigns as the King of Kings on his heavenly throne, Westminster Abbey is not a temple. You know, temples are fundamentally different than cathedrals or churches or chapels or synagogues. Pretty much anyone can enter a cathedral or church. But as we learned in the Genesis account, the tree of life, God on his throne, is guarded by cherubim and a flaming sword. And I haven't had a chance to develop this aspect of the ancient tradition yet, but this theme of guards protecting God's throne is so pronounced in the ancient world and so widely dispersed across the continents that we can safely argue that it is one of the original tenets of the ancient tradition. As you'll learn more fully in future episodes, human beings must meet certain qualifications to enter God's presence, to enter the Holy of Holies. And those who don't meet those qualifications are prevented by guards from entering. You can't just pay 15 pounds and get in. Those who enter must themselves be sacred, else they would profane God's temple. So the guards protect the sanctity of God's home. Although Westminster Abbey is not a temple, and the coronation ceremony is more likely than not an imitation of the original, they both still do an excellent job of symbolizing many of the profound theological tenets expressed in the ancient tradition. Now, after Charles processes into Westminster Abbey with the clergy and other dignitaries, and the anthem from Psalm 122 is sung, Charles stands beside the coronation chair, which we noted sits directly above the Cosmati mosaic onyx stone. And after this, a peculiar ritual takes place, and it's known as the recognition. The Archbishop of Canterbury, presently Justin Welby, who is the highest-ranking cleric of the Church of England, followed by the Lord Chancellor, the Lord Great Chamberlain, the Lord High Constable, and the Earl Marshal, walks to the east. And there the Archbishop addresses the congregation that's seated in the eastern arm of the Abbey. And he says, Sirs, I here present to you Charles, your undoubted king. Wherefore, all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? And the audience in the east arm then replies, God save the king, and trumpets blare. From there, the archbishop moves to the south, faces the congregation seated in the southern arm, and repeats the recognition. They exclaim, God save the king, and then the trumpets blare. The archbishop then moves to the west. He repeats the recognition. The audience seated in the western arm shout, God save the king, and the trumpets blare. And from there, the archbishop moves to the north, repeats the recognition. The congregation in the northern arm exclaims, God save the king, and the trumpets blare. Now, you might think the archbishop does this because the abbey is set up in a crucifix form, and it's just the polite thing to do to address the congregants seated in each of the arms but this would be incorrect. This peculiar ritual is incredibly ancient. It's one of the most archaic rituals tied to kingship in the ancient world. And honestly, I'm quite shocked that it's so well-preserved up to the modern day. It's a bit mind-boggling to me. 
To understand this ritual, we need to head to Egypt, to the very first dynasty, to the reign of King Menes, who ruled about 3150 BC. And now that's nearly 5,000 years ago. We don't know a lot about King Menes' enthronement ceremony, but we do know quite a bit about an enthronement celebration that was held every 30 years after the king took the throne, and it's known as the Sed Festival. The Sed Festival was one of the most important and one of the most ancient religious festivals that was held in ancient Egypt. The celebration was held to renew the strength and the vitality of the reigning pharaoh and to mark the beginning of a new era of the pharaoh's reign. It was kind of looked at as generational, starting with each new generation. A key feature of the Sed Festival was a ritual known as crossing the field. Sometimes it was known as running the circuit or running the king. And for this ritual, the king dressed in a royal kilt, and he would run around a specially constructed course that marked the boundaries of a, of a field. And the course was typically marked by a series of boundary markers or stations known as Hebsed pavilions. And at each of these pavilions, the pharaoh would touch or embrace the marker. Henry Frankfurt, who wrote one of the most important books on ancient Egyptian kingship, said this of the ritual. Quote, the king crossed the piece of land in its length and breadth. The whole of the performance, which implied a fourfold course according to the points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. In other words, the king ran in a circuit along the perimeter of the field from cardinal point to cardinal point, and then he'd stop at these Hebsed pavilions, which were placed at the north, south, east, and west, or which marked some of the key features of the surrounding landscape. A text from Edfu confirms Frankfurt's interpretation, and that text reads, I have run holding the will which my father has given me before Geb, and now Geb was the ancient deity for earth. I have passed through the land and touched its four sides. Okay, now why would the king do this? What did it symbolize? Frankfurt continues, and he says, quote, in his hand, the king holds a small object, the house document, which sets out a transfer of ownership, which would be similar to a land deed today. It's thought sometimes that the will merely shows that the king is entitled to dispose of the field which he crosses. This seems too limited a view altogether. In fact, we do not know that an actual piece of land is involved at all. It may very well be that an area was marked out in the temple court to symbolize Egypt as a whole. The king, by crossing this field, would dedicate it and therewith Egypt to the gods and at the same time assert his legitimate power over the land. So according to Frankfurt, the field which the king circuits represents the land of Egypt. By symbolically circuiting the boundaries of the land with the land deed in his hand, the king is establishing that he's the legitimate ruler of Egypt. And by performing this ritual, the king is asserting his dominion over the entire land of Egypt and its inhabitants. In this ritual, 
the four cardinal points are used to symbolically convey the geographical totality of the land of Egypt. And we see this association between the cardinal points and geographical totality all over the world. There's also evidence in the ancient Egyptian record to suggest that the king, by circuiting the cardinal points, is asserting dominion over more than just the land of Egypt. In ancient Egypt, the phrase, quote, as far as the rays of the sun disk was commonly used to express the vast extent of the king's power and dominion. So wherever the sun's rays shined, the king had the legitimate right to rule there. If we return to the text from Edfu that I just read, it continues, quote, The good king who runs round fast, holding the will, he runs crossing the ocean and the four sides of heaven, going as far as the rays of the sun disk passing over the earth. From this text, running the circuit from cardinal point to cardinal point symbolized much more than the king's dominion over the land of Egypt, as we understand it. It symbolized that the king had dominion as far as the rays of the sun disk, which meant the king had dominion over the entire world. So we see as far back as the first dynasty in Egypt, the cardinal points were used to symbolize the geographical totality of the entire world. So let's quickly jump back to the Garden of Eden account in Genesis. There we see the living waters flowing from the sacred tree of life in the sacred center of the garden sanctuary, from which it parts into four heads. And those four heads flow to the four points of the compass. What this imagery is meant to convey is that God's spiritual nourishment, symbolized by the living waters, flows from his temple abode to the four corners of the world. His spiritual nourishment floods the entire earth. The use of the cardinal points here in the Genesis account is the same as that used by the Egyptians in the Sed festival. When the ancients made reference to the four cardinal points, They were expressing the same idea that what was taking place would affect the entire earth. And I don't want to get too far off topic, but we see this in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 29, verses 10 to 14, Aaron and his sons are commanded to sacrifice a bull and then take the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the four corners of the altar. By placing the blood of the sacrifice on the four corners of the altar, the priests were expressing that the sin sacrifice was meant to atone for the entire world. The use of the four cardinal points to symbolize the totality of the earth is one of the most ubiquitous symbols in the ancient world. And since making a circuit around the perimeter of the cardinal points produces a square, the square became the universal symbol for the earth in the ancient world. So when King Menes, the first king of Egypt, ran the circuit with the land deed in his hand, it was meant to express that he had the legitimate right to rule over the entire earth. And this notion is further expressed in a ritual that is remarkably similar to the ritual that will be performed at Charles's coronation. Towards the conclusion of the said festival, the following takes place. And this comes from Frankfurt's book, Kingship and the Gods, which I mentioned earlier. 
And Frankfurt writes, quote, Two officials, one with the archaic title Chief of Pei, the old city in the Western Delta, placed themselves on either side of the king and in a kind of antiphonal hymn of praise proclaim his power. Then they change places and repeat the proclamation before and behind the king. Twice more the action is repeated so that each man has spoken in the direction of the four points of the compass. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to see the parody between this ritual that took place nearly 5,000 years ago in ancient Egypt and what's going to take place when the Archbishop of Canterbury proclaims King Charles's sovereignty to the four corners of Westminster Abbey. You know, I personally find the striking parody in kingship rights over a 5,000-year period to be mind-boggling. To drive home the point even further between the cardinal points and the dominion of the king over the entire earth, near the end of the said festival, the king shoots four arrows, one to each of the cardinal points. And this is meant to symbolize or demonstrate the king's power and his military might over all regions of the earth. And we find this ritual of shooting arrows to the four cardinal points Again, all over the world, we find it among the Native American tribes like the Navajo, Apache, and Lakota, among the ancient Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, among the Mongolians. We just find it everywhere. And after the ancient Egyptian king shoots the arrows, he's enthroned four separate times, each time facing a different cardinal point. And this is just another way for the king to proclaim his dominion over the entire earth. At this point, I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden yet again. Although I've mentioned it several times in the past couple of episodes, I want to drive home the point that where the cardinal points intersect marks the sacred center, where God, the supernal sacral king, reigns on his throne. So the cardinal points are also a way to point one towards God's abode, towards the Holy of Holies. And of course, let's not forget that God crowned Adam a king in the sacred center where the living waters divided and flowed to the four corners of the earth. This imagery symbolizes exactly what we read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, that God made Adam a king and gave him dominion over the entire earth. So Adam was the first human being to be appointed king over the world. He was the first earthly king of the four corners. This exact same imagery is conveyed during the British coronation ceremony when the Archbishop of Canterbury presents King Charles to the four arms of Westminster Abbey. The Archbishop is presenting King Charles as the king of the four corners, the king of the entire world. And if the presentation of the four arms of the Abbey aren't enough to convince you, Let's not forget that beautiful Egyptian, no less, onyx stone in the center of the Cosmati mosaic. If you recall, the stone over which King Charles will be anointed and coronated leaves with the beautiful strata through the stone, no doubt in viewers' minds that it's meant to symbolize the earth. King Charles will literally be crowned the king of the four corners, the king of the world, directly atop a stone rendering of the earth. 
And if these symbols still aren't enough to convince you, there's a little bit more. At a certain point in the ceremony, King Charles will be presented with a royal sphere made of gold, and it's known as the Sovereign's Orb, which again represents the entire world, and he'll hold it in the palm of his hand. Although I'm not going to go over the crown in this episode, be sure to check out the crown and see if you can't figure out how the crown, too, symbolizes the British monarch as the king of the four corners. I hope by this point you're starting to see how ancient the coronation rites of kings are and how they literally go all the way back to the beginning of civilization. But I also hope you recognize that these rites are tied to some pretty profound theological concepts, many of which will develop over the next year. Before I close out this episode, I want to make mention of two more ancient examples, though there are literally hundreds I could have chosen from. The first comes from Mesopotamia. Although kingship is tied quite clearly in ancient Egypt to the cardinal points and the king's dominion over the earth, this theme is also a key feature found among many early Mesopotamian kings. Between 2254 and 2218 BC, so this is about 400 years after the reign of King Menes in Egypt, King Naram-Sin is the first Mesopotamian king known to have claimed the title King of the Four Corners of the World, which is sometimes translated as the King of the Four Quarters of the World or the King of the Four Corners. And this title, as we already discussed, was another way of saying the king reigned over the entire earth or that he was the king of the world. Between 2334 and 530 B.C., more than 25 Mesopotamian kings claimed the title King of the Four Corners. Lastly, I want to take you back to the Book of the Holy Secrets of Enoch, dated to at least as early as the first century AD. In chapter 30, there's a really peculiar passage, which is most likely a Greek interpolation, but it's still super intriguing. In this passage, the Lord is teaching Enoch about Adam. And the Lord says, quote, I appointed him as king to rule on earth and to have my wisdom. There was none comparable him on earth from all my existing creations. I gave him a name from the four directions, from east, from west, from north, and from south. I called his name Adam. In this passage, we see all the things we've been talking about. Adam has been appointed by God to rule the world. His reign is associated with the cardinal points. But the Lord also mentions something very interesting here. He says he gave Adam his name from the cardinal points. And this is very interesting. The editors of this translation of To Enoch, or the Book of the Holy Secrets of Enoch, gives a little more information about this, and they write, The cardinal directions in Greek were Anatole, east, Dysis, west, Arctos, north, and Mesembria, south. If one takes the Greek names for the cardinal points and uses the first letters as an anagram, it spells A, Anatole, A, Dysis, D, Arctos, A, and Mesembria, M. In Greek, the cardinal points are, or spell, A-D-A-M. 
M, Adam. So Adam is the cardinal points. Considering what we've learned in this episode, the association between Adam and the cardinal points makes complete sense, especially since he was the original earthly king of the four corners. And did I mention the Greeks put that in there over 2,000 years ago? They knew about Adam as the king of the world. That's the ancient tradition. On May 6th, 2023, King Charles III will be crowned symbolically as the next Adam, the next king of the four corners. That wraps up this edition of the ancient tradition. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you've gained a better understanding of the British coronation ceremony and how deeply enmeshed it is with the ancient tradition. We'll pick up where we left off this discussion in our next episode. For now, I'll leave you with the words of William Shakespeare. Knowledge is the wing wherewith we fly to heaven. I'm Jack Logan. You've been listening to The Ancient Tradition, a Wonk Media production.